0: This is Thomas DePaulo.
1: This is Max.
2: This is Kevin Hamm.
1: Hey, this
3: is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box.
1: Today's topic, we're trying to think of some interesting lessons that we can draw from video games. This is a topic we've discussed before, but one thing that I think is cool about RPGs is that most of the first video games that were RPGs were based on tabletop games, but now we see tabletop games adopting a lot of conventions from uh, video games, or we don't necessarily see that, but we see the people who run the games doing that, and I think there are some things that are quite valuable that we can learn, and we'll hopefully illustrate with some specific examples today, uh, I'd like to open with one that I think most people are probably going to be familiar with, at least most of the people on this show, but also many of the listeners. One thing that I quite enjoy about um, Fallout New Vegas is that in this video game, every time you are introduced to something that is dangerous... Uh, be it a faction of people or a creature or something of that nature, you are either given an explicit warning beforehand or you are given an opportunity to encounter it in a way that will not immediately attack and kill you. So if you want to go north from... The starting town and go straight to the Deathclaw based area or with all the Cazadores and stuff. There's a big sign saying, do not, do not go over here. This is Deathclaw country. The robot will come behind you and say, you cannot go this way. It is dangerous. And then you can get to like the quarry town where all the miners are at. And they'll straight up tell you the area to directly north of here is filled with giant creatures that will fucking eat you and then that's these 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 creatures that'll you know attack you on sight but you're at least given an opportunity to not go over there you're told that they're there the other the other example is um when you first meet both the NCR and the Legion it's in a setting that they have a reason to not immediately attack you like you can go to Nipton and the dude's like hey i'm not i'm not interested in crucifying you you're just a guy uh check it out though we we killed all these people because we're the greatest and look at look at how cool i am and that right away tells you what that faction is about. You have the opportunity to pick a fight with the guy if you want to, but it's not the default interaction.
2: I think even the Death Deathclaws, I think before you, before they aggro on you and attack you, I think you see them wandering around, and they're like bigger than you'd expect. So even that is your last chance to be like, oh, they weren't getting. It's not like a scorpion, it's like a giant monster. All right, let me get out of here.
1: I've been running like a lot of games that aren't Delta Green just because I've, I've kind of gotten burned out on Delta Green. But in both cases, this design is useful because there are lots of creatures in Delta Green and lots of, you know, magical spells, etc., that will just instantly delete you before you even know what it is that you're encountering. You know, they'll, there's like a, a, a spell that does a d20 of damage. There's lots of creatures that have very high lethality percentage attacks. And... Being introduced to that stuff is more fun if you have a way to see the effects of it beforehand.
2: Yeah, even in Double Green, there's there's some things that do just like ridiculous sand damage, and the only, and the only way to fi- like figure that out is to like watch someone roll it or take the sand damage yourself, and that can be pretty you know, oh well, this character's now worthless. So signposting it or having interactions where you're not like given the full you know uh, onslaught is pretty clever idea I'm trying to think i know many people dump on fallout 4 i don't i feel like fallout 4 does similar things but i can't think of anything specific so i'm not prepared to back it up
1: i haven't played it i don't have a computer that can run it yeah
2: well someone who's played fallout 4 who knows more let us know i don't remember i had an example from which is actually kind of it's, it's funny this example is from a game that was just really buggy at the time but there's a, a cooperative ghost hunting game called Phasmophobia. Where four of you, you and three of your friends, wander around a spooky house trying to identify a ghost using, you know, various, like, you know, Ouija boards and uh, temperature readers and EMF readers, you know, and various, like, you know, ghost hunting accoutrements. And it's pretty scary because the ghost can, like, attack you and it can murder you and, you know, it'll, like, move stuff around. But there was a bug for a while... Like, you you have, to, you have to, like, make the ghost angry enough for it to do stuff. So by, like, being in the house or walking through where it is or, or you can – your mic is always on so you can speak to the ghost and, like, ask it things. And, like, using its name or, like, calling it a little bitch make it angry. But there was a bug for a while – or for a little while where, like, that threshold was set improperly. So, like, some ghosts just would never show themselves, would never attack you, would never respond. But those were some of the most, like, spooky ones because – you know, you're wandering around the house, you've been there a little bit longer than you like. feel like you should be. You're not sure, hey, like, did someone move something? You're not sure if it was your friend, like, knocking something over, or whether it was the ghost, you know? Like, you know, the, the lights go out, is that just because the power tripped or the ghost ran off? And, like, afterwards, you're like, oh, that was really stupid. You know, we there was no real threat there. But all of that threat wasn't because the ghost made it. All that tension was because the players amped themselves up. So my, like carry over to the Delta Green world is, like, if you sprinkle in a little bit of spookiness, let your players' imaginations do all the heavy lifting for you, because they will probably, you know, take it further than you'd expect it or make more assumptions or, like, you know, run with it. And as long as they don't go, like, crazy with it, you know, let them, you know, freak themselves out all they want.
3: That's a good rule for horror, isn't it? A little goes a long way.
2: Yeah. And that's something I, I lean on because I don't, I don't particularly like horror very much uh so i don't have a vast wealth of like horror uh knowledge to draw on so i'll just sprinkle a little bit in there and then let's like if one of the players is a horror freak and they know all about it like well they'll, they'll run with it you know they'll they'll take it to where it needs to go
1: i remember phasmophobia being like a very like kind of streamer bait game like yeah like it like it got memed pretty hard and like i understand that that in vr it's a different experience but when you watch those videos it just seems kind of ridiculous and But one of the things I remember is that having that ability to do the call and response, like have the ghost react a specific way every time you did a certain action, kind of like took all of the suspense out of it. Because it's like, oh, if I call the ghost a cock, he's going to slap me.
2: It was It was interesting. There was like... The, the game had a really weird life cycle for me and a bunch of my friends who played it. For the the first like couple of days we played it, it was awful. those. we'd know that it was going on, we'd die all the time. We wouldn't know what interactions were causing it. It'd be like the game has shitty documentation. And it's made by one dude, and it's a good game, but it's still like man, ask someone to write a manual for you or something. So like you pick up an item, like no idea what it does, and you're trying to like test it, but you don't know like, am I dying to this ghost because I'm using the item wrong or because it hates the item? Like you have no idea. But then you like you hit this like point where you figured it out and then you're just like kicking down the door like you you identify the ghost in the first 30 seconds and you're like leaving the room and before it can even like attack you you're like done got all the points got all the pictures we need peace you know send us the next ghost and then that's fun for a little while and then you get to the point where like now it's boring (laughs) nothing's scary anymore you can beat any ghost at any time, and you start to see some of the like bugs, like AI bugs that come out. So there was this, it's just funny. You go from like scared and not know what's going on and then know what's going on, like, but like fighting and winning and then being like, well, that was fun. That is a very old school
3: style of, of game design for the difficulty to be in figuring out the mechanics and the interactions. Like that's, uh, Rogue and NetHack are probably the most infamous for that.
2: Nowadays you can just Google. And, like, some YouTuber will tell you all the secrets. But back yeah. in the day, you had to, like, figure it out with your friends. And then those secrets would percolate. Or, like, you read them in, like, Game Informer or something. Like, you'd be like, I got some secret.
3: I, I used to keep a notebook.
2: Yeah. So I do – I mean, as – I'm old enough now and I have like enough my free time is limited enough that I'm like I appreciate the fact that if I need to know something about a game, like how do I get past this stupid door or whatever, I can just find it, but at the same time, like I do miss that old school like, you know, have all your friends watch over your shoulder. You know, I like my my friend used to play Tomb Raider and he was like mediocre at it, but we would walk, we would sit on the couch and be like, Wait, and there's a ledge there or, like try going around that way or whatever and like together we beat all the Tomb Raider games, you know, back in the day. Like that was a lot of fun. You miss all that these days.
1: So the other thing is that even even when developers attempt to add secrets that don't get immediately discovered, usually the game just gets data mined. And then <laughs> yeah. like that, like the the binding of Isaac guy was real salty about that, that one of his secrets that he added in um, immediately got found out by people just looking at the code. And to that, I'd respond, hey, maybe stop churning out Isaac DLC. It stopped being good like five years ago. But that's neither here nor there.
0: Well, on the bright side, next year, he'll have been good six years ago.
1: People keep telling me that the new DLC is actually good and like makes the game fresh again, which is I have trouble believing. But enough people have said it that I'm now open to the possibility that's correct.
2: I don't remember what game did it. Uh, it it might have been it it, it must have it was must have been payday too because I was heavily involved in like finding the secret to that game, uh, which is which was a long time process and a lot of fun. But like they they had it such that. When you got to a certain point, you would, When you got to a certain point and you closed the game and reopened it, it would patch you and give you all the secret content. So that the secret content wasn't available to you until you'd gotten to that certain point in the game, like till you'd gotten to see it. And it was, it was like, a, it was like, a, it was a really, really solid, like deal, like a funny video with all the characters in. It. So all they did was patch in a video, but there's nobody, no way to data mine it because the video didn't exist on anyone's computer until they got it. So that was a neat way to do that. Uh, I had a video game, like a fighting, a shooting do game thing not but if someone else wants to go
0: i think you and i were gonna think of the same one i know you and jake have been playing some apex lately yep and i play that one on and off on the xbox so do you have a thing about that one yeah
2: yeah i mean jake did but i'm i introduced him to it and i'm going to steal his thunder because he's not here and i play a lot of apex so i can you know it's also mine but in that game it's it's, it's an arena shooter or it's not a shooter. it's a it's uh, a battle royale. royale. Yeah.
0: So you're on a team of three out of like let's say twenty teams who are all trying to be the last one standing. And over time, the map keeps shrinking and shrinking. So it's every video game released in the
1: last ten years.
2: I mean, I would say like maybe like Fortnite or PUBG was probably the first BR. Like real like real, real BR outside of like a big outside of like the shitty version in the it the was armor it was it knockoff. was PUBG,
3: but then Fortnite stole their thunder and they got real salty about it.
2: So, regardless, one one of the important things is if, if you're in game and you hear a firefight, a, a pretty solid strategy is to go towards a shooting and kill the team that's there. They, they kill the team that has just cleaned up the firefight or just third party an existing fight and killed both teams. So, you really have to be cognizant about how, once you've made a ruckus and done some violence, how long you hang around, like looting and like checking the place out and like, you know, looking for other loot or whatever, because you, People, like, as soon as you set that,
0: like, you know, flare off into the air, essentially, people are going to be coming at you. Right. In a way, it's almost a stealth game because you want to leave no trace of where you've been or where you are until you start shooting.
2: And one of the keys to a firefight is, like, so, like say, you know, Team A and Team B get into a firefight. The, the team that's going to win that is a team that can rotate, can essentially, you know, picture you're looking down on the firefight at a clock, and we'll say you know, Team A is at 12 o'clock and Team B at 6 o'clock. A straight up, like, just back and forth firefight is just going to come down to who can shoot better. But if Team B can slide around to the 3 o'clock position, now you're coming in from a flank position because the enemy still thinks you're at 6 o'clock, you have a huge advantage. So it's a tactic that people use in all sorts of games, but in, pub- in Apex, and in another game I'll talk about called Hunt, it's insanely good. So, you know, my... The way I would tie that over to Delta Green is the first part I'd tie over is, you know, once you've made a ruckus at a, at a place, don't hang around and wait for anyone, wait for anyone else. Either, you know, the more cultists to show up or the cops to show up or whatever. Like, you know, do the do the violence and get the hell out of there quickly. So, like, have a plan to do that. But also, if, you, if you're faced with an obstacle, you know, going straight through it may not be the best solution. But you also can't try to replan your entire approach. Like in Apex, if you're going to rotate around, you have to do it very quickly and all as a group or as, 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 a, as a small group. So you can't like stop behind the rock and like see the, see the obstacle and like go back to the planning phase of an operation. You have to just one person has to make a call and you just have to go with it and push in another direction.
1: Yeah. I've, I found, um, both playing and running the game, Delta Green, that one, and I'm sure we've talked about this before, that um, inevitably, you know, someone does something bad, and then the rest of the group's like, all right, we gotta get out of here. And then one of the players is like, oh wait, okay, just right before I leave, and then lists like 10 actions. Like, I wanna, you know, pick pick up all the items, uh, sanitize the crime scene, go tell the neighbor that it was just a misunderstanding. And then I was like, all right, police arrive. What do you do?
2: I wonder if you could break that down into like, all right, you know, you guys have, you guys say you know you want to get out of there you have you know two minutes we well, you know each of you can do one thing in those two minutes what do you do you
1: know, yeah let, and then also like don't accept like any crosstalk between the players just be like each of you list one action because if you yeah. let people if you let people discuss that they're gonna be there for half an hour saying you're trying to like list the optimal things to do and that's another case where um, if a character has, if you're like me and you just get sick of that shit, if a character has like 60 forensics or whatever, you can just say, you know how to do this. You don't need to argue about it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If they've already done the big encounter, you can let them have, you know, had their cake a little bit. The, uh, the the other thing that makes me think of is, uh, ge- generally speaking, if someone makes a call, like I say, you're, you're on a team, you're you're better off all going with a bad call, vice either splitting up or trying to arbitrate the correct call. Because if you sit there trying to figure out what to do when someone said we need to go right or we need to leave, even if leaving is objectively the wrong call, at the end of the day, if you all make it together, you're in a much stronger position. So I I try in some game when I when I run games where it makes sense, like Star Wars or like uh, West marches, you know, hex crawl type stuff. I try to have like a, I guess like a, a team leader who is the person who will make those calls, and then they just rotate it. But so, some like Double Green is a game where that works works like kind of the least sometimes. So you, I feel like you just need your players to know that if, you know, player A says, all right, it's time to leave, maybe you have some trust there. The uh, the other really solid shooter that has a lot of kind of corollaries is called Hunt Showdown. Um, and sound in that game plays a huge, a huge uh, factor. You know, you can hear people crunching on broken glass from broken windows. You can hear them milling down like monsters, etc. And a lot of the guns... <sighs> Like if I hear somebody on broken glass and they're behind a, a you know, thin wooden wall and I hit them with a slug through the wall, like I can kill them. So it's very – like stealth matters a lot in that game. But the ironic thing is that as soon as there's an opportunity, the the winning teams, as soon as they make an opening, like throw a flashbang – or injure a player badly or down a team, a number, you know, player one on a team of three, st- then you have to move, like, like, seize the opportunity and rush, you know, not maybe not rush, but like advance aggressively and capitalize on it. Because if you let the team that you just injured get their guy back up, now you're back to square one. So that's the hardest thing I see in that game for players to figure out is like when to be, like, there is a time when stealth needs to stop happening. You need to just go shooting. That can be, that can be tough for players.
3: I've had a similar sort of light bulb moment playing a couple of video games. You guys ever do a thing where you, you're you playing, I don't know, some some game that requires some modicum strategy or tactical planning, and you set yourself up for whatever the next big objective is going to be, and then you save and go to bed, and then you, you, you fire it up after work the next day, and you go, uh, okay, I'm going to do something completely different and just forget all your planning.
1: Yep.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's, um... One of my bosses has a phrase he loves, which is... All plans are useless. Hang on, I gotta look it up.
1: So, the feeling that I've always had is that, um, you can ask the, you can ask the players to, like, come up with the plan at the end of the session for what they're going to do next session, because that's, um, that, like, lets you know what it is that you're supposed to prepare as the person running the game, what you should be ready for. But typically, there's not like a high degree of ownership that the players feel with that plan. They're just going to do whatever the hell they want when they come in next session because they don't feel that the decisions made by their past selves are like binding. It's just, you know, why would we do that? It's especially true if there's any turnover in the group, but even if it's the same people the whole time, um, it's not. I guess, I guess the, th- the thing for me is that I've just never found planning in RPGs to be that valuable.
3: No, I, I have the same thinking um i definitely the, the the rare instances where it occurs where planning is actually valuable and this is something we've talked about before um plans tend to fall apart one or two steps in and then it's about improvising but i i i i do maintain that there is a place for both both sides of the scale with respect to planning versus improvising it's good to have everybody on the same page to agree on what the plan is and not go off script too early but then once it becomes apparent that the plan is not working, then you have to be able to improvise. That's a thing that I've that I've picked up playing a lot of strategy games, most notably XCOM. Is I'll go in with a plan, and then it doesn't work, and then I got to think of a new plan, or I'll go in with a plan, and like I said before, you know, save and come back the next morning, I forget what my plan was, and get completely wrecked.
2: So I was I was I was confl- I was conflating two different quotes. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix that. But then I want to respond directly to what you just said. But the two quotes are plans are nothing, planning is everything. And the other one is about models. And it's, all models are wrong, but sometimes they're useful.
3: Yes. Uh, that's <laughs> like a good that. one.
2: Um, I like that a lot. Uh, Civilization six on the hardest difficulty is the perfect the perfect example of that because you you if, if you go into that game mode and you're like, I'm going to win a science victory, like you're screwed. You have to go in and kind of see what the cards are dealt, see what's happening. Or if you go in with like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna declare war on Canada. Because I hate them and they need to be destroyed. You know, one, like you do. one, two, yeah, exactly. Which is you know very realistic. Like you know, two turns in, you may need to pivot or whatever. But what's in, what's important about plans is that if you're making a plan, you should figure out what your objectives are, and those don't change. So like to bring it back to, get to Delta Green, if your objective is to get into the building and delete the security footage of you guys doing the crime, you. Your plan to like sneak in through the back door as your delivery people might go out the window as soon as you realize the back door has like two really tough guards at it that you didn't expect. But your objective hasn't changed, so any improvisation you make needs to get you closer to that objective. You know, so you may be like, "All right, plans out the window. What if instead we back the truck up over there and jump? You know, use it to jump across." You know, try to get up on the roof and we'll go on that way. As long as you're still going towards the objective, it's when you start improvising and you're like, let's go to the sewers and like, you know, let's, let's go get, let's go steal a helicopter. It's like, wait a second, are you, are you, are you on task or are you just going insane?
3: I, I definitely have had moments where we're trying to execute a plan and somebody improvises a detail that was never discussed. <laughs> Ugh. And it just ruins the whole plan. I was I was
1: I was watching a Delta Green game on Night of the Opera, and they're like doing the thing where you know they sneak up on the the enemy, and like you know they're gonna burst in and and discharge the firearms, and you know get the bonus to hit and damage. And at the last second, one of the characters yells, "Come out with your hands up!"
3: Yeah, I think we're talking about <laughs> and that. And then and
1: then yeah. they get they get fucking slaughtered because the enemy. He, he shouts that while they're like walking down a, a kill corridor with no protective cover <laughs> towards <laughs> towards so like a, a doorway at the end and um he was the only one who died in that gunfight thankfully like because if I was if I was another player character I would be very angry like i'm I'm someone who who Like, 100% take shit like that personal. It's one of the reasons why I stopped playing Delta Green. One of the things that, I think one of the reasons why that happens is that, um, partially it's because people want to do what they want to do. Like, they don't want to just spend the whole game following someone else's orders. But also, I think that very often there's not a good summary of what was agreed to during the planning discussion, because... Like, when I'm, when I'm the person running the game, I will always ask at the end of the, the back and forth, okay, what are you doing? Because I cannot follow a half an hour of planning discussion. I can, I cannot even follow 10 minutes of it unless I have some kind of summary at the end telling me what everyone's doing. But I think that that's also useful for the players because that is going to tell them what's going on. And like, there's, there's always the really annoying thing where, um, you ask for a summary, and someone gives a summary, and then the rest of the group disagrees with the summary, and then they go back to square one because yeah. they didn't actually Before we agree. do the
2: summary, let me add this.
1: Right. So, But but having that – and I think we've talked about this one before. I think, Tom, you were the one who, who, who might have introduced this, the idea of the caller who – or it might have been you introduced this for, for some other game that I was running, but the idea of the caller who decides or, – or who who ultimately summarizes the group's decision to the person running the game
0: – Right. I think it was for Esoteric Enterprises because it was really getting to you in that game. And so we were trying to brainstorm a couple of different player roles. And one of them was like the shot caller, the guy who you have sole authority. Everybody else can like kibitz uh, or whatever. You can chat amongst yourselves about what you're going to do. But whatever this guy says, you're going to do is what the GM is responding to,
1: right? And we had this we had this discussion about Delta Green as well a long ass time ago, if I remember correctly, where like it was it was a discussion about how much can you actually designate someone as a as a team leader? Is the team leader bre- are, is their role as a tiebreaker? Are they summarizing what individual members of the group want to do, or are they the ones who make the plan? And that was that was a, a discussion that I believe we had and. Um, I think Jake was was advocating for one thing, and it was other Will or Kevin that was advocating for another. But it was a similar question of how much are you are you summarizing versus how much are you actually making a decision.
2: And that's that's what's so interesting is that you know I, I quite I, I enjoy Delta Green quite a bit, but it, it's a, it does a really bad job mechanically at doing some of the things that like it, it should do better, like things that are core to Delta Green, like planning an operation. It doesn't do very well. I've been playing a lot of Blades in the Dark. I've been, I'm playing in a Blades in the Dark game and I started running it for my regular D D group, um, and they've been having a blast. And with Blades, uh you said something earlier, I think Max, you said like you know, then someone throws in a thing that like nobody planned for. Like in blades, that's like encouraged and if it's a cool thing, it's it's great. Uh so it's so funny that like in Delta Green that can get people killed, like shouting in a hallway. But if it happened in like uh, sorry, if it happened in like Blades, you know the guy'd be like, "Open up, you know the police," and he'd be like, "You know what? I'm I'm gonna spend the stress and flashback and make sure we all have the proper police uniforms." And you know these guys are gonna think we're the cops. What? A, that's awesome! All right, sounds great. Like roll with it, you know.
1: The main the main reason why you can't get away with stuff like that in Delta Green, and this this is this is a discussion we've been having for years now, is um, that in Delta Green the stakes are so like incredibly high because a single die roll can delete a character from existence whereas blades blades and dark has like some pretty harsh punishments for failure like i that's one of the things that annoyed me about blades was that um it wanted you to like be you know the story author and think of like cool stuff but also if you fucked up and didn't mash the system properly you would be spending all of your downtime actions healing stress instead of doing the fun stuff but blades has much more like cushion for failure whereas in Delta green one of the reasons why you get the obsessive planning discussion is that if you miss a detail you're going to die yeah so that's not something that you can fully boil out of Delta green and there, there's there's the there's like you can get an attitude change where you know the players are just more accepting of failure and death as a result of of, of incorrect planning but ultimately that is a that is saying you out of the game must change your attitude to not be bothered by something that is a kind of an incongruity in the in the mechanics like that's something that that's that's always been there at the core of of Call of Cthulhu and as a result of Delta Green the idea that the fun thing to do is to read the magical tome and go with a with a rash plan and do something crazy but that is the thing that is mechanically punished true I have another example that goes with this idea of repetition in order to ensure that everyone has the same information. I've, I was I was playing a, a video game called Paradise Killer, which is a um, it's like a detective game. It's like a visual novel. I would basically dis- describe it as like if suda Fifty One made Disco Elysium. It's pretty fun, and it I, I like it a lot. I think it's I think it's a good game. It's very easy to dismiss it as just weeb shit because it has like anime graphics and stuff, but I think it's real good. And it taught me not to just write off a game for how it looks. But one of the things that, that uh, Paradise Killer does that I didn't realize until I was watching someone else play it uh, on a stream is that it is very insistent about using the NPC's names repeatedly and, like, highlighting and bolding them in different colors every time. So, so if you... Whenever whenever a character's proper name is mentioned, it's always in red and bolded. And even sometimes in the writing, even when they could just say, he did this, they'll say, Dr. Doomjazz did this. And what that does is it helps the player manage a very large catalog of NPCs by constantly repeating the names of the people involved. Because I, I think 90% of the time, the players in an RPG, that the kind of RPG that we run, do not remember the names of the NPCs, or they they will, they will get one of them confused with the other, and then they have a very divergent understanding of what's happening because they believe that a certain character did all these things. I remember one scenario where um, the player characters accidentally kidnapped a... Um, just the random woman who was the mother of one of the characters because they confused her for a another character who was involved in the mystery. Uh, I've had cases where um, one of the, one of the things that I remember specifically is wasn't when I was running Love Bug. Um, the players got very confused that a a loyalist was someone who 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 like served the United Kingdom and a nationalist or republican was someone who was aligned with ireland so they would they would get confused they would think that that the unionists were behind something because they didn't have that constant reinforcement of what each thing means or what the name of each thing was
2: i think that's like the metal gear metal gear solid games get a lot of shit for being like plot just garbage but and, like, Snake himself, whenever someone says, like, you know, like, you know, Revolver Ocelot, shot your dad, the next, the next line from Snake is almost always, like, Revolver Ocelot, but it's doing that exact, that exact thing. You hear That'll the name, the name bookends, the, the fact about them, yeah. and it puts it in your memory.
0: It's the dialogue equivalent of whenever Jackie Chan delivers a punch in a movie, they show it again, but zoom in on the punch so you feel the impact.
1: Yeah, so being, being more aggressive about repeating the names of things and repeating important details is good, not just in the design of the scenario, but also when you run it. It's, a, it's sort of a mirror to how I always ask players to state the name of their character when they're taking an action, because 90% of people sound the same over Discord, so I'm not always sure who's talking.
2: Yeah, that's a good tactic.
1: As, as the person running the game, I got to take the same responsibility and say, instead of saying, like, the NPC tells you to shut the fuck up, I actually have to say what's the name of the guy so that people will remember in the future.
3: That's a very very similar to, um, I forget if it was one of us or if it was somebody else who's had this advice, but when the GM, when you are, it was suggested that you should address them by the name of the character to, to keep it, you know, to keep everybody clear about what's happening to who. And that usually works unless the the player forgets the name of their own character.
2: So the the worst offender for this is, like, so that D&D group of mine, Um, they we, we all have Discord usernames, and we're all playing characters, but most people refer to each other by their real names, which are just different. So, like, in my, like, notes doc, I have Max, Melonbread, you know, Agent Gerard. Like, <laughs> so I know, like, if someone says Max who they're talking to, if they say Melonbread who they're talking to, you know, like, I Have
3: to have like an extra level of like abstraction. Oh, I I do the same thing. Yeah, I keep that that same list. Of I've, notes.
1: Yeah, especially for me, if if it's someone who I I'm I'm gonna reverse what I said earlier about about not knowing who's talking. If it's someone who I do recognize, but I don't know the name of their character, I will very often just be like, "Yeah, Top Hat's character does this," because I I don't have I only have one monitor, so I'm not looking at at both the. The game window and the Discord pane. So at a certain point, I will also I also started doing that thing where you have to write down um, what each person and I write that on a physical piece of paper because I don't want to have to switch another tab to look at it.
3: Announcing the name of your your character when you're doing a thing um, that that was that was a lesson that I learned playing uh, Eve Online because uh, when you're on voice comms <laughs> yeah. in an Eve fleet with you know 50 other guys in an alliance of 200 people. Not everybody knows every, everybody else's voice. Some people have shit microphones. Also, it was the early aughts, so everybody had shit internet. Um, so whenever somebody would say like, Oh, I have been, I've been targeted or I need reps, unfailingly, the fleet commander would always say, Who the fuck is I?
2: You should have made your username I. And
3: eventually, people would get it through their heads. They would say, you know, well, so Will needs I, rest. I think
1: this was something that was solved in the early days of radio communication by not having all 50 people in one room or on one frequency, if we're talking about the real-world equivalent. Like, you had some kind of pyramidal structure where, you know, every 10 guys had one guy whose job it was to report up to the to the next stage of the command.
2: Yeah, I, people give ARMA a lot of shit, but there's some really realistic ARMA mods, and I used to play a lot of them. And generally, what you do is if you're if you're in a squad, all you're talking to is your squad of people. But your squad leader usually in like your left ear you have your squad, and in your right ear you have like a command net. And then the command that has a thing. And then if you're like, uh, like an A-10 pilot, all you're listening to is like your wingman and on one ear and your command net on the other ear. So that that, they, that does a really good job of like, you might have 200 people in an operation, but nobody's talking to more than like 10. is helpful. And also people are pretty good about being like, you know, like, you know, Red One, this is, you know, this is beefsteak. That helps a lot. <laughs> Well in your Eve example, I would have just changed my name to I and then you always would sort of gotten, you know,
3: all the help. Uh there are people who did that. I knew a guy whose uh, his scouting alt was named uh Red Spike. So that when on enemy comms they'd see him they would announce a red spike in, in in system chat, and then somebody would scramble a fleet and it would take a good couple of minutes for somebody to realize, No, 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 Red Spike is his name. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean a spike of red contacts. I mean the his the character's name is Red Spike.
1: <laughs> Polyphemos, my son, who is it that's blinded you?
3: Exactly. Exactly. That's good. It was a good
1: gag. So I have I have other video game stuff, but it's less it's less. I mean, it's sort of related to Delta Green. I think we've talked about this already. Um, one thing I like to do, if if I have really strong uh, a strong idea for it in my head, and if I have the um, The ability to prepare beforehand is certain characters, areas, and also certain encounters, if there's something that's reasonably sure you're going to happen, can have a specific music track associated with them. And lately this has been going really badly for me because uh, I use Roll20 and Roll20 has had serious reliability problems for me over the last couple months. Um, I understand that, like, you can use Discord music bots, but Discord music bots are also subject to just random breakage like any Discord bot. Um, I know people have had better luck with Foundry, but the one Foundry game I sat in on, I could also not hear the the music, and my understanding is that this is a known known issue with the software at the moment. I I have understood
3: that the, the same, yet for some reason I have never encountered the issue myself.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that that's, that's the difficult thing is that when you're using this sort of, of, of software, it's impossible to tell whether what you're encountering is a problem with your computer, with your internet, or with the actual program itself. Because all the issues I'm having with Roll20 could hypothetically just be my shitty computer or my shitty internet, but I've heard enough people complain about them that I'm reasonably sure it's, it's system wide, but I don't, but if the problem is that if it's my device, then switching to another platform will fix it. But, uh, I'm just going to talk as if, as if I was back in the days where, where shit actually worked and I expected it to and say that having. A musical cue associated with an area or with an NPC is also a very good way to ensure that people remember it. Because one of the things that they know about Alzheimer's patients and people with serious dementia is that that is something that they will remember after everything else has disappeared. What music?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. What's it's really interesting. Uh, I I watched all the Avengers movies recently, uh, and the Avengers they did a really good job of like. So, like so, you know, Captain America has a theme, a theme song. But when when you see him throughout the rest of the movies doing other stuff, usually it's like a remix of his theme, or his theme is really really low there, things like that. Like the Winter Soldier has a theme song, but when you see him as Bucky, it's like a different, it's like a different key. Like all sorts of interesting. Like like you don't catch him unless you know either you're really paying attention or someone tells you. But I read an interesting article on it and like started to pay more attention to it. But it's 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 the same kind of thing you're talking about. Like it's some consistency that you don't notice, but it helps your brain like lock onto it. And it's really really clever. Yeah, I've
3: noticed that in a lot of my favorite uh media. Like um if you if you take a drink every time Wander My fr- a remix of Wander My Friends plays in Battlestar Galactica, you're gonna get shit faced by the season three.
1: Having yeah. multiple variations of a piece of music is great. Like one of the one of the common ones that video games do is that for a given area there's like the walking around music and then they have a, a, a mix of it that's for like if you get into a fight. Uh, Deus Ex did that. I it was one of the earlier games that did that, but I'm sure there's games even before them that did it. And oh, yeah. uh There's tons of video games that do this. I know, Will, you were talking about Star Sector. is a similar thing where each each faction has different mixes depending on their alignment to you. Each
3: faction has a mix for if you're hostile, if you're friendly, if you're neutral, and then there's a separate set of mixes for their, their ports and their star bases. Uh The game that I was actually just thinking about right now was, was Legacy of Cain's Soul Reaver, which had a, a specific music track for each like zone, and then it would have a variation for... Like you're in danger, you've been spotted, and then would have a variation for you're fighting somebody, and then would have a whole nother suite of all of those variations for when you're in the, the astral plane on the same the same area. And it was was really cool is because those those spectral themes were always like the, the the notes were drawn out, they sounded kinda echoey, they were a little bit more like haunting. It was it was a really cool effect.
1: Yeah. Um here's a question though. If he the protagonist from this video game had a like uh an ancestral, like, rum distillery that he ran, would that also be a legacy of Kane?
3: Uh, yes. Um, that is a thing that works best online, which is the way everybody plays games right now. But when, when the dark times finally end and we go back to in-person games, I found that music is not as effective in evoking that. Um, what I've had more success at a physical table is, um, playing sound cues for notable events like Leaves rustling or footsteps. Uh or playing very much more subdued, low key background music that just kind of subtly hints at mood. Like for I did a lot of that with um when I ran music from a darkened room one Halloween. I'd had some nice spooky low key music. Not the kind of thing I would have used for an online game. Uh because honestly it's just harder to notice when you're at a physical table. Especially if you don't have a decent sound setup like my my, my buddy Dean did in his house. Um, well, one thing I would caution players against is, um, please, if, if, if your gym is using music, please don't interrupt the description to ask, oh, where is that music from? Please don't do that. <laughs> uh, I, actually, I try to avoid using tracks that I know my specific players that will do that will recognize. Uh I will also change I had I don't know if this will make it into the thing, but I had uh, I, I took a track from from Divinity Two and I named it Rock and Tavern Fight, which is not what it's called. I just called it that so I could remember what it was. And this one guy in the middle of the description he goes, Oh, I recognize this music. Where's this from? He goes and clicks over to music and goes, Oh, oh, Rock and Tavern Fight. Yeah, I recognize that. That's where it's from. And I'm like, Oh my fucking god, dude. <laughs> oh my fucking god.
2: It's like I got him, but oh, you're the only one who got that. Yeah,
3: so yeah, that's yeah. Like,
2: uh, why?
3: <laughs> So yeah, music is cool. FTL, also very well known for having, uh, two, two versions of every track, uh, and then seamlessly shifting between them from fights to not fights. Very, very cool. That's a lot harder to do without special software, like mixing software.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things, uh, this, this is going to be a deep cut, but, um, you guys have heard me talk about how, uh, great the music is in, uh, Deadbolt, right? Yeah, cuz Deadbolt Deadbolt is a game that has a very simple uh, for the for listeners. It is it's a it's basically like um gunpoint but instead of jumping around you go through vents and you shoot zombies and stuff because you're the Grim Reaper and it has a very good soundscape made by the same guy who did the Risk of Rain music. Uh
3: Oh yeah, I I know. Chris I, I Chris,
1: Chris 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 very Chris, Chris, very 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 Greek sounding guy. I don't I don't I'm probably getting it wrong, but um he uh, did this soundtrack and the, the game has a very simple tech that makes it great. And that's that when you go into a room that does not have a speaker, when you go into a vent or when you go outside, the music is muffled. And then when you go inside, it's audible again and it changes. It's, it's switching between the two tracks at the actual point where you're going through. Cause I know that you guys have played video games before where you, you go like, into a, a a space like you let, let's let's say the bar in Disco discolasium you go up to the second floor of the bar and it loads the the like low fibers from the track because you're hearing it through the floor but it begin it goes back to the beginning instead of to the point where the previous one stopped and that is like a tiny detail but after experiencing it done the right way, it bothers me now. Or uh, you guys have probably had this, where um, this is this is common in like older games, but you still see it. Where uh, if you get a map transition while you're in an area that has a specific piece of music, even if the other side of the map transition has the same track, it'll play it from the beginning.
2: Yeah, that's that's definitely jarring once you notice it. Yeah,
1: there are, and some some games will actually use that to their advantage. Like they'll have a. Um, I think, uh, Starfetchers does this. My favorite track in Starfetchers is, um, the one that plays when they're just hanging out outside of the, um, the Suburban Satan's HQ. It's only 58 seconds long, and they know that you're gonna go through a map transition before you hear the whole thing.
3: Did you know the Battle Music's tracks for XCOM 2? Uh, there, there are different tracks that play when it's your turn and when it's the advent turn. Um, but they are substantially different, yet they transition from one to the other, pretty seamlessly. Do you know how they do that? Uh, unrelated question. Have you ever heard anybody complain that turn that it it's uh you waste a lot of time on turns and actions in XCOM because like there's a there's a delay for when you click a button to when the the the, the character does the thing?
2: Or they just force you to wait until the, the sync point? Yeah, and then the animations to are waiting for is. the
3: right time to transition, so that when when end turn comes up, it'll go straight to the right beat of the advent music.
2: That's pretty funny.
3: Yeah, that is really cool. Uh, That is an example of a really slick idea that in implementation is not so great for the user experience, which is why they added an option to switch it off later. But that is a really, really cool idea.
1: I'm vaguely reminded of how—I don't know if y'all remember how how in the first Metroid Prime on the Nintendo GameCube, uh, they disguised all the loading screens by having that cutscene when you ride the elevator. Yeah. But then sometimes it would just bug out and you'd get stuck on the elevator forever. Because
0: the game was having a problem loading. I think the original Mass Effect did that too. They had the million-year elevators to hide loading in the next part of the level. Mass Effect was the, was the worst
2: of that, but all sorts of games do it. Anytime you're playing a game where like you like shimmy through a tight
0: corridor or like
2: oh, uh, yeah. you know, you have to like crawl through something and it's like a slow like hold forward to do it, all they're doing is loading the next zone behind
3: you. You know that used to be called streaming. And uh, Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver was, to my knowledge, one of the earliest games to do that old PlayStation games a very short render distance, so fog, uh, and then a bunch of winding corridors or canyons or ravines that you had to cross to get to the next area, and that to, to hide the loading.
1: Do we have other cool lessons that we can learn from games? Because I got a game that I can talk about, but I'm, I'm struggling to think of how it's applicable to Delta Green.
2: I got nothing else but go crazy.
1: Okay, um, so I've been playing a lot of a video game called Cruelty Squad. And Cruelty Squad is basically Deus Ex if it was made by the Goblet Grotto guy, and it's a ton of fun. It does the Hitman and uh, Deus Ex thing, where the game world plays dramatically differently depending on which path you take to build your guy. It, it's tough to it's tough to come up with an nexus to Delta Green because this is a game where like dying a lot and experimentation are encouraged, and playing through levels in different ways is encouraged, which is the opposite of how Delta Green works.
3: Well, you can't really repeat a level in any tabletop RPG.
1: I think you can.
3: You could actually. In fact, that's what I was planning to do with Stroud Must Die. So maybe, so what, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah,
1: because the, basically the way to make something in an RPG that can be replayed is to have it have enough content that the players won't experience at all on the first run through and then encourage them to do something different the second time they play it and that's something that you can do with Straw Must Die because it's a huge castle with all kinds of different things to explore in it. But it's also something I've been doing with the uh, the Fallout RPG that I've been running, which is that um, I could hypothetically run both of the GM playsets again for the same group of people because there's just routes they didn't take the first time and there's different... Que- it's, like it's, it's, it's basically something that I modeled off of the actual games where you can pursue different quest lines and have a very different experience and different playthroughs.
2: I mean, we, we I know we talked about grindhouse day scenarios. But that's another like way you can do that. It is actually just yeah. do a you know like a live die repeat type uh uh you know scenario would work well, and that you could definitely tie plenty of like Delta Green esque uh, you know things into that kind of a, a looping scenario.
3: Strahd must dry the module about picking up the vampires dry cleaning. Just wanted to get that joke out before I forgot.
1: Oh, I'm so glad you did. <laughs>
3: Further thoughts on lessons of the way of the vidya.
1: Yeah, just the hardest thing to adapt for video games, and one that one that I would I would not try so much is. Um anything related to like spatial movement positioning, um, even, even, even stuff like sound cues. I know we talked about, but that's, um, it's really
3: hard to do. Yeah.
1: It's, it's hard to, it's hard to do that in a way that communicates information because there's a big difference between like, here's a sound design that, that is used for atmosphere versus like the gunshot came from over there and that signals something just because you're just not going to be able to like use sound to signal where something is in a 3d space. If you're, Using your imagination, so my advice is 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 be more cautious when you're trying to take stuff like that. Uh, any any mechanic that's like numerically dense or requires a lot of bookkeeping can probably be sidelined. Like one thing that I did when I when I did um, my Fallout adaptation, which is which does belong in a Delta Green discussion because it was built using the Delta Green rules in a similar way that um, Gunslinger is currently being built to use the Delta Green system. In a, in a new and, and exciting way, one of the things that I did with that is that there's a lot of shit in the um, in the the video games for Fallout that relies on um, different types of mathematical computation. Like this this item will raise your strength by two points, and then by raising your strength by two points, you raise all strength linked stats by this percentage. You change your carry weight, you change your melee damage, and when you're adapting that to a video game, it kind of sucks. Sorry, a tabletop game, it kind of sucks because there's a lot of math involved. And you can you can do stuff like build a character sheet that auto-calculates, kind of like how you can build an Eclipse Phase character sheet that will automatically apply like bonuses from stuff when you do resleeving. But it's a lot easier to just have stuff directly affect the relevant things than to affect a core stat and have to do all these calculations. So instead of saying, like, oh, it gives plus one to strength, say okay, what, what is it that people are really going to be using this item for? Probably like melee damage and stuff like that. So just say gives you a higher chance to hit, gives you more damage. And again, not really a direct nexus to Delta Green, but that's something that occurred to me as a lesson. Look for the direct impact on gameplay and not a straight port of the numerical mathematical underpinning.
3: Keep it simple, I guess, would be the, the way to summarize that.
1: Yeah, think of the feel rather than the actual literal mechanic that's used.